Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from a book entitled The Private Key to Heaven. It was written by Thomas Brooks, the English nonconformist preacher and writer who died in 1680. He's giving us 20 reasons why we should pray in private. These are the last three of those. I've given you 17. Here are 18, 19, and 20. Number 18, God's special mark of favor. Consider that God has set a special mark of favor, honor, and observation upon those that have prayed in secret. As you may see in Moses, and in Abraham, and in Isaac, and in Jacob, and in David, and in Daniel, and Paul, and Cornelius, and Peter, and Manasseh, God has put all these worthies that have exercised themselves in secret prayer upon record to their everlasting fame and honor. The Persians seldom write their king's name, but in characters of gold. Well, God has writ, as I may say, their names in characters of gold who have made conscience of exercising themselves in secret prayer. The precious names of those that have addicted themselves to closet duties are as statues of gold, which the polluted breath of men can no way stain. They are like so many shining suns that no clouds can darken. They are like so many sparkling diamonds that shine brightest in the darkest night. A Christian can never get into a hole, a corner, a closet to pour out his soul before the Lord, but the Lord makes an honorable observation of him and sets a secret mark of favor upon him. And how should this provoke all Christians to, to be much with God alone? The Romans were very ambitious of obtaining a great name, a great report in this world. And why should not Christians be as divinely ambitious of obtaining a good name, a good report, in the other world? A good name is always better than a great name, and a name in heaven is infinitely better than a thousand names on earth. And the way to both of these is to be much with God in secret. Number 19, Satan's Opposition to Private Prayer. Consider that Satan is a very great enemy to secret prayer. Secret prayer is a scourge, a hell to Satan. Every secret prayer adds to the devil's torment, and every secret sigh adds to his torment, and every secret groan adds to his torment, and every secret tear adds to his torment. When a child of God is on his knees in his secret addresses to God, oh, the strange thoughts, the earthly thoughts, the wandering, distracted, hideous, blasphemous thoughts that Satan often injects into his soul, and all to wean him from secret prayer. Sometimes he tells the soul that it is in vain to seek God in secret. At other times he tells the soul that it is too late to seek God in secret, for the doors of mercy are shut, and there is no hope, no help for the soul. Sometimes he tells the soul that it is enough to seek God in public, and at other times he tells the soul that it is but a precise trick to seek the Lord in private. Sometimes he tells the soul that it is not elected, and therefore all his secret prayers shall be rejected. At other times he tells the soul that it is sealed up unto the day of wrath, and therefore 
A secret prayer can never reverse that seal. All of this is intended to dishearten and discourage a poor Christian in his secret retirements. Sometimes Satan will object to a poor Christian the greatness of his sins. At other times he will object against a Christian the greatness of his unworthiness. Sometimes he will object against a Christian his want of grace, and other times his want of gifts to manage such a duty as it should be managed. Sometimes against a Christian his former straight straightness in secret prayer. At other times he will object against a Christian the small yearnings that he makes of secret prayer. All this is to work the soul out of love with secret prayer, yea, to work the soul to loathe it. To It's so deadly an enemy that Satan is to secret prayer. All the strange fears, fancies, and conceits that Satan often raises in the spirits of Christians when they are alone with God in a corner, and all to work them to cast off private prayer. It is none of Satan's least designs to interrupt a Christian in his private trade with God. Satan watches all a Christian's motions so that he cannot turn into his closet, nor creep into any hole to converse privately with his God, but he follows him hard at heels, and will be still injecting one thing or another into the soul, or else objecting one thing or another against the soul. A Christian is as well able to tell the stars of heaven and to number the sands of the sea, as he is able to number up the several devices and sights that Satan uses to obstruct the soul's private addresses to God. Now, from that great opposition that Satan makes against private prayer, a Christian may safely conclude these five things. Number one, first, the excellency of private prayer. Certainly, if it were not an excellent thing for a man to be in secret with God, Satan would never make such head against it. Two, the necessity of this duty. The more necessary any duty is to the internal and eternal welfare of a Christian, the more Satan will bestir himself to blunt a Christian's spirit in that duty. Three, the utility or profit that attends a conscientious discharge of this duty. Where we are like to gain most, there Satan loves to oppose most. Four, the prevalence of private prayer. If there were not a kind of omnipotence in it, if it were not able to do wonders in heaven and wonders on earth and wonders in the hearts and lives and ways of men, Satan would never have such an aching tooth against it as he has. And fifth, that God is highly honored by this duty, or else Satan would never be so greatly enraged against it. This is certain. The more glory God has from any service we do, the more Satan will strive by all his wiles and slights to take us either off from that service or so to interrupt us in that service that God may have no honor, nor we no good, nor himself no hurt by our private retirements. And finally, number 20, the Lord's secret ones. In the last place, consider that you are only the Lord's secret ones his hidden ones. And therefore, if you do not apply yourselves to private prayer and to your secret retirements that you may enjoy God in a corner, none will. 
It is only God's hidden ones, his secret ones, that are spirited, principled, and prepared to wait on God in secret. Then shall you be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, says God. The Hebrew word signifies God's special jewels, God's proper ones, or God's secret ones that he keeps in store for himself and for his own special service and use. Princes lock up with their own hands in secret their most precious and costly jewels, and so does God his. For the Lord has chosen Jacob unto himself, and Israel for his peculiar treasure, or for his secret gem. Psalm 83.3 says, They have taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against thy hidden ones, or thy secret ones, so called partly because God hides them in the secret of his tabernacle, partly because God sets as high a value upon them as men do upon their hidden treasure, their secret treasure. Yea, he makes more reckoning of them than he does of all the world besides. And so the world shall know when God shall arise to revenge the wrongs and injuries that have been done to his secret ones. Neither are there any on earth that know so much of the secrets of his love or the, of the secrets of his counsels or of his purposes, of his heart, as his secret ones do. Neither are there any in all the world that are under these secret influences and assistances and incomes, these secret anointings of the Spirit as his secret ones are under. And therefore no wonder if God calls them again and again and again his secret ones. Now, what can be more comely or more desirable than to see their natures and their practices to answer to their names? They are the Lord's hidden ones. Therefore, how highly does it concern them to be much with God in secret and to hide themselves with God in a corner? Shall Nabal's nature and practice answer to his name? As it says, Let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. Nabal signifies a fool, a sot, a churl. It notes one that is void of wisdom and goodness. It signifies one whose mind, reason, judgment, and understanding are withered and decayed. Now, if you look into the story, you shall find that as face answers to face, so Nabal's nature and practice did echo and answer to his name. And why then should not our natures and practices answer to our names also? We are called the Lord's secret ones, his hidden ones. And how highly, therefore, doth it concern us to be much with God in secret? Why should there be any jarring or discord between our names and our practices? It is observable that the practice and carriage of other saints have been answerable to their names. Isaac signifies laughter. Isaac was a gracious son, a dutiful son, a son that kept clear of those abominations with which many of the patriarchs had defiled themselves, a son that proved a matter of laughter to his father and mother all their days. And so Josiah signifies the fire of the Lord, and his practice did answer to his name. Witness the pulling down of Jeroboam's 
altar, his burning of the vessels that were made for Baal, his pulling down the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had set up, his burning the grove at the brook Kedron, his stamping it to powder, and his breaking down the houses of the Sodomites, his defiling of the high places where the priests had burnt incense, and his breaking in pieces the images, and cutting down the groves, and filling their places with the bones of men. Joshua signifies Savior, and his practice was answerable to his name. Though he could not save his people from their sins, yet he often saved them from their sufferings. Great and many were the deliverances, the salvations, that were instrumentally brought about by Joshua, as all know that have read the book of Joshua. And so uh, John signifies gracious, and his practice was answerable to his name. He was so gracious in his teachings and in his walkings that he gained favor in the very eyes of his enemies. By all these instances, and by many more that might be given, you see that other saints' practices have answered to their names. And therefore let every one of us look that our practices do also answer to our names, that as we are called the Lord's secret ones, so we may be much with God in secret, that so there may be a blessed harmony between our names and our practices, and we may never repent another day that we have been called God's secret ones, his hidden ones, but yet never made conscience of maintaining secret communion with God in our closets. Thus you see that there are no less than twenty arguments to persuade you to closet prayer and to maintain private communion with God in a corner. Amen. Thomas Brooks. 20 reasons to pray in secret. Next time we'll be starting to talk about the application, the application of all of this. Thank you so much for listening. Do look around our site. Over 3,500 audios now featuring some of the church's great preachers, persecution stories from North Korea in English and Korean, Bible studies on a number of subjects, and a blog. If you desire more fellowship, please consider buying one of my books at Amazon.com or contacting me at bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com. And I'll share details of our Saturday evening Zoom meeting for men and our Tuesday noon meeting for men and women. Well, this is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and this audio is being released on the 3rd of March, 2023. Lord willing, we will talk again real soon. Bye-bye.